Hey guys, I'm Caleb Kostierke and this is the Proven Progression Podcast. Today I'm in Bozeman, I'm sitting down with Nick Donovan and we're going to talk to you about snow and how to find the best snow, um, how to read snow tell sites and have it all make sense. Yeah, we're uh, going to dive into, it's going to be a little bit of a nerdy podcast almost. It's maybe not the coolest part about snowmobiling, but it sure does add an important dynamic to it. Yeah, it's not really the flashy part that you want to post on Instagram, but it's really important to have an understanding of how to find the best zones and make the best of every weekend. Um, so we'll start out with just talking about you and how we met and um, how long you've been in the sport. So I think the first time I remember seeing you, it was on a Snow West forum, like way before I was on Facebook or Instagram. And I think I was picking your brain on modding a rev. Yeah, and you were building that crazy old mod rev, and at the time, I was doing, like, tube chassis stuff. Yeah. I, I asked you something dumb. It was, like, trying to cut apart a wiring harness to save weight or something ridiculous. Oh, man, I often think back to those days, and some of the things that I know we both did, and it's like, oh, wow, yeah. Interesting ways you meet people. Yeah. And then I remember following you on Facebook and seeing you post uh, riding in, like, October on a I think it was a modded out XM and you're going up this creek with a bunch of logs in it. And I was like, okay, this guy's, this, this is interesting. I don't see this every day. It's funny you say that. I literally just saw that Facebook memory float through and I was like, what was I doing there? <laughs> Trying to go, oh, I should have been hiking, not on my snowmobile. Yeah, but that's part of the fun and that's part of like why you have a good understanding of how to find good zones is because you ride at all seasons and uh, have been on the snow a ton. Yeah, no kidding. I... Sure do love trying to get out and sneak. I think the the shoulder season rides, even though they may not be the best snowmobiling rides, tend to be some of my most rewarding, whether it's early or late. Those are they're a lot of fun. I think you have less expectations when you go out and it's abnormal. Like everyone else is either hunting or boating in the spring. So it kind of makes you stand out and you know you're doing something different than everyone else. And that definitely adds a fun yeah. aspect. <laughs> getting a good ride mid-season is one thing. Getting a good ride in October or June is a very different experience. Yeah. What is the earliest you've rode? September like 30th or 28th. I can't remember a few, uh, probably four or five years ago. Now we had just a fluke storm rolled through and the stars aligned and was able to go put some turns in on it. It was really fun. Here around Bozeman? Yep. Yeah. It was uh, just about an hour out of town here mountain range just got hit with one of those storms the rain turned to snow and we were able to get out yeah nice and what's the latest oh, late uh, i think i've been out actually in august one time in cook city it was pretty ridiculous like we barely even put gear on because we were on so little <laughs> snow but yeah definitely stretch some seasons i'd say mid-june is like the consistent end of things but yeah there's been some rogue late rides I think if you ride any later than late June, all you're doing is like riding a patch. You're doing like a donut on a patch of snow. <laughs> oh, I've done a few of those too. Yeah. Rode a lot of gravel to do literally one donut and go home. <laughs> yeah. But June, if you hit a good zone um, and it's a good snow year, like you can still build jumps and have a pretty good day. I know Frank and I, uh, not this last year, but the year before, had a really good day in June. And we covered like 50 miles of terrain and just kind of cruised around and then shoveled a jump and... It was oh, super fun. Definitely. And they're just, the weather is so enjoyable. I think that's why what you and I, we've always shared that in common is like those late season rides are really fun. Long days, it's warm out. Again, when you literally have your t-shirt on and your helmet, it's pretty pleasant to be on the snow and you're not freezing. Yeah, no kidding. Let's uh, dive into this podcast. So you actually came to me with this podcast idea. We were going to do a little bit more on just kind of your backstory and snow bikes versus sleds, but 
decided to jump into a little nerdier um, of a topic. And the reason being is I think this will be extremely helpful. And um, I don't think a lot of people have really heard a podcast or have any understanding on how to read Snowtail sites. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, when we live in the information age, there's such an incredible amount of incredible amount of resources available on our phone, computer, whatever it is um, that it's people kind of forget how much there is and how that can help your writing experience. We just, sometimes we just want to ask, Hey, what I want, I just want the answer delivered directly to me. And, you know, if you learn a little bit about kind of what, what information to hunt for and what, what it means, you can, you can really enhance your writing by just keeping up on some, some data points, you know, again, the snow tells weather stations, there's just, there's a lot. Yeah. A lot of options out there to gather Intel and you don't have to be in everyone's DMS. And if you DM me asking snow conditions of Sealy, like I'm not going to get mad or anything, but at the same time, if it's early season and I'm putting hours and hours into finding good zones to ride and you just want the shortcut to it, it's a little frustrating. If you go around DMing all the guys you see riding, like you might get shut down and they might not want to ride with you. So if you put a little bit of legwork in and be like, Hey, I think I found a zone that's good. And then invite someone to go riding. Um, you're going to have a lot better results and they're going to respect you a lot more. Yeah. Or even as simple as, Hey, you know, you know, that say I live in Bozeman or you, you live in Sealy. Hey, I was thinking about riding in that area at this time, or a more pointed question, not just like, again, I know we, we hate to say it. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that's like, where's the snow? How is the snow? Where'd you ride today? Where'd you ride today? It's, if you put in a little legwork on your own and have a little more of a direct question, most guys are pretty happy to answer it. Yeah. You know, you don't post on some random guy's hunting photo. Where exactly, where are the GPS locations where you took that bull elk? It's, they would never answer you. Yeah, exactly. Have a little respect for the people putting in the work to find early season and late season snow. And it applies mid-season too. Yeah. But I think it's just more applicable early season and late season because the zones you hit are going to affect your day of riding a lot more. It matters a lot more where you choose to ride early season. Oh, definitely. Season. The, the, the scope is a lot narrower on where conditions are going to be favorable or even rideable at all. Again, as we joked about earlier, literally the picture of trying to ride a snowmobile up a creek bottom with down timber that was over my handlebars. Like, <laughs> note to self, don't go there early season anymore. Right. Yeah, I just did a YouTube video on our um, first ride of the season, and I, I tried to touch on that in the video a little bit. Like, if you can find, like, grassy hills, that's what you want. Yeah. Oh, totally. There's, again, and that's something, you know, obviously as years of experience, years of living in an area and being more familiar with the mountain terrain, it all adds up to, you know, more probability of success and chances of having fun, not just loading your snowmobile up and driving based on a total feeling. Like, it's a, again... Using data, whether it's stuff online you found or some just in field stuff, you gotta you gotta go to gotta go to know. Yep. So let's uh, give some definitions for what we're talking about: um, preseason, early season, mid season, and late season. What what would you say preseason is? Yeah. So preseason, I guess to me is like you know most areas in in the U.S. even Canada they don't start grooming till December first or doing anything. There's no trail maintenance or anything until December 1st. So I would consider anything leading up to December preseason, you know, that's not really winter yet. There's a chance you might get snow, but it's more, you're hunting for that. Yeah. Early season. I think you and I both have a pretty good grasp on that one. That's, you know, your that December, January window where it's like, it's definitely winter, but conditions are not 
things aren't fully filled in. I know, especially like in Sealy, there are a lot of brushier areas. So zone selection still matters a lot in December and January. It's not like straight across the board. You're going to have good base um, and good riding conditions. Yeah. On a good snow year, it might be, you know, you could ride everything, but on a lot of years, your, your riding zones are maybe still cut in half on what's really practically rideable. Yeah. Yeah. You're hitting that high elevation stuff and not touching the lower stuff yet. So mid season, I think we both again, agree. That's sort of your, that's the meat and potatoes. That's when everyone's out riding your January to March, you can pretty much ride everything. Accessibility is not a problem. You know, they're grooming from the trailheads. There's no patches of dirt. The zones are good top to bottom. And yeah, late season is, that's a, that's a fun one. I, I think, again, we both have a big soft spot for that. That being kind of your April and going on, um, the, the roads are starting to dry out. There's patches of dirt to hop gates that are locked that you can't get around. So, you know, things, there's new challenges. Yeah, definitely. Tons of new challenges. You can't just go to your normal lot and go up and ride. You have to find roads that are going to high elevation or go to zones like Cook City, Mm -hmm. um, something like that. I think there's a pretty small percentage of people that actually ride past March. It seems like the stoke kind of dies out and people are thinking about summer activities, but there's still a handful of sledders that are pretty hardcore and get as many days in as possible. It's kind of interesting. The Swedes actually ride a lot more in the spring. And I think it's due to the, the terrain and daylight they have up there. Um, Cause you see more of those guys hitting jumps and more of their Instagram posts in the spring than any other time of year. Definitely. And again, touching on the snow tail point, which we'll get to is if you actually look at the data peak snowpack in most of the Western U S is actually like in April, you know, the trail has already started to melt, but the snowpack is still increasing. That's actually you know, like for jump building, for exploring all this stuff, that's when you're seeing your, that like last few weeks of March through April is really cool. If the weather's right and you're not getting crazy ice crusts or anything, like it's really fun. Yeah. I've had really good days as late as like mid April and Revelstoke where it was two feet plus of fresh Definitely. just felt exactly like winter, just substantially more base than normal. Mm-hmm. But because the, because the valleys melted out where the, you know, the guy, his yard is green. His, you know, people's minds have moved on, but it's like, again, getting to the point of this podcast, it's like, look at the data. What does it tell you where there's just because you're looking out at a green lawn doesn't mean there's not an eight, 10 foot snowpack to go ride. Yeah, definitely a huge misconception. I think most people think the mountains are melted out of snow, like April or at the end of March, even Um, (laughs) as someone who dirt bikes, I can confirm the trails are not ready yet. Yeah. Those who recreate a lot in the summer in the mountains, um, are aware of how late the mountains hold snow. Yeah. I mean, mid June is like when you're like, okay, dirt bike trails are starting to open. They're even passable. Same with hiking. You're not blasting through drifts constantly. So there's our definitions for the seasons. Now we're going to talk about the priorities for each season. Um, so preseason priorities, you want to start us off with that, Nick? Yeah. These are kind of just some quick highlights on again, what you're going to be using as decision-making for going out and getting the most out of your ride. For preseason, I think the first thing is just legality. You know, obviously it crosses over a lot with hunting seasons. Some zones are closed for different habitats. So, you know, understanding what's legal. Don't be the guy that's out wrecking stuff, causing trouble, giving snowmobilers a bad name. That's a, I'd say probably the most important important thing for early season is knowing what you can and can't do. Yeah, a good thing to note is that Sealy specifically is closed until December 1st. So don't be trying any early season there. Um, they're pretty tight on that and they'll catch you for sure. Yeah, I mean, same with Bozeman. Like about half of our zones are 
they are closed from October 15th through December 1st, specifically because of hunting, elk habitat, et cetera. Like know where that is. Don't go out because that's a huge stain on the sport and just sucks for everyone. Yeah. Another stain on the sport is going out early season and posting a bunch of videos of mowing over trees and dirt. Um, I know like some of that's going to happen, but there's no reason that we need to put it out there for like environmentalists to screenshot and use yeah, like, like everything, use some tact, you know, what you, what you post, what you be respectful, be rethought, be thoughtful of what you put on the internet, because it is, it is forever once it goes online. I guess second priority besides the legality is just scouting. I mean, you kind of touched on that same with your recent video on proven progression, talking about, you know, kind of what's there, what is under the snow, you know, if it's terrain, you've hiked, you've biked, you've camped, that gives you such a huge starting point of what's actually reasonable to ride. Yeah, you can use Google Earth and get a little bit of an idea. If you see like a huge cliff face and then a bunch of boulders below the cliff face, like you know that's going to be a pillow field in the winter. And you know to avoid that. If you see like a grassy avalanche chute, you know, assuming there's no avalanche risk, that could be something that fills in and be um, decent playing or even just a meadow. Like honestly, if you're riding in November, some of the best riding you can do might just be wheelies in a meadow. Yeah, a wheelie in a field is pretty cool when (laughs) it's the first time you rode for the year. Yeah, no kidding. High elevation road access, that's another huge thing. I'd say that's the biggest challenge for early and late season is, you know, a lot of our zones, the roads are end pretty low and then you're sort of on a trail or just off trail going to the higher elevation. And, you know, if the snow line didn't get that low, like you you can't get to the snow. So you need to find spots where you can access, act like you, you have a realistic chance of getting to riding. Yeah. The last weekend when I rode, uh, we drove another like 15 miles up from the normal parking lot. If that road didn't exist or if that road was closed, uh, we wouldn't have been able to ride because there's no snow. At yeah. The and I guess, yeah, roads, not necessarily specifically, but roads and then four wheeler trails, et cetera. Like an actual cleared means to get to higher elevation is you don't realize how much stuff's under the snow until there's only a foot of it. <laughs> right. No kidding. Sometimes you just have to go and make some mistakes talking about that Creek bed earlier. Like there's certain things you just, you'll find out you know, over time, what's good, what's not. It's kind of an investment. If you ride November every single year, you're going to get better at riding in November and you're going to have more fun eventually. The first time you do it, it's kind of a a unique experience and it's going to be hard to ride on that little snow and put that much effort into figuring out where to go. But the more you do it, the more you figure out what zones to go to, what snow tells to look like, and it gets a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, totally. The, The shoulder season definitely just takes more. It does take experience, like knowing... I mean, that's the point of this is trying to help give you guys some of the experience we've accumulated and then how to do that for yourself. That kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like if you do some legwork, look at the snow tells, maybe go for a drive, take your girlfriend for a drive, see how much snow is up there and then report back to somebody that, you know, rides early season a lot with all this data and be like, Hey, like you want to go out? They might have some helpful input and, and now you're providing them some info that you've learned on your own, not just being like, Hey, I want to go out with you. I know you know the zones. Totally. And that's, yeah, kind of one of our other points here is there is definitely a little bit of guessing. I mean, you know, the, all these data points only tell you so much. And at some point you're going to just have to take that investment. And yeah, maybe it's after work one night, go up for a cruise in the truck and just start driving up the road. And if you start getting up to the end of the road and there's still no snow, okay, we're not going to try to go right. It's not going to work. Or, you know, you get a mile up the road and it's already like, you need to chain your truck up. It's like, let's go get sleds. This is going to be cool. All right. Let's talk about early season priorities and kind of what the early season looks like. 
Yeah, I think you you hit it on the head earlier with the scouting. I mean, again, using Google Earth, that's such a huge resource. Obviously, there's a there's a learning curve there of what looks like what on Google Earth and what's what in the field. You have, you kind of have to build that that base of knowledge of what you're actually looking at because Google Earth makes everything look pretty friendly. Yeah, it, it definitely does. It's just kind of blurry and flat, and you're like, oh, that looks fun. That looks like a good zone. You'll again once you've done it a little bit and looked at stuff and then gone in the field and experienced what's there, it can teach you a lot. But yeah, scouting again, whether that's you know on foot, digital you know, hiking, biking, whatever, you, you know, what's there, you know, what's under the snow. I mean, growing up in Sealy, I'm sure you've, you know, you've probably hiked just about every zone that's there. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a pretty good idea of what it looks like in the summer and that, that actually helps me know where to take my clients early season too. Like I already have these zones and hillsides picked out in my head. Like I know this one's grassy. I know where there's a big ass stump and I'm going to like steer people away from that stump and we can practice there even if there's low snow. That's part of what makes a a guide, like a local guide specifically valuable, no matter where you're riding. If they're an outdoors person and they've spent their whole life riding the zone, they're going to know these things and it might be worth hiring them um, just to get some of that intel. Like if you're not going to do the legwork that we're talking about right now, then hiring a guide might be for you. Honestly, yeah, it can be invaluable. Like that's going to kind of make or break your experiences. I mean, I know we've personally gone on some pretty rogue exploring missions and like not almost they had bad days, but had some <laughs> adventurous some, days. <laughs> we made some memories doing some real dumb stuff. And you know, yeah, you go, okay, that's not, that's not where you want to go anymore. That is not the spot to ride. Something else I want to touch on, on scouting, um, completely different use of the word, but scouting for mid season hits is something I do a lot. So when you're riding preseason super early, there's not enough snowpack to really have an understanding of how jumps or whips might line up because there's just no like there's no coverage or not enough coverage but um, early season you start getting four or five feet of snow you can't really go huck your meat off a huge jump or throw big re-entries because it's not safe yet but you can start finding those features and kind of imagining what they look like with another two or three feet and I'll often pick out dozens of features um, early season and then go back and hit them later in the year I know that's probably not for everyone, but anyone that's like really pushing the limit or trying to film um, and is into that aspect of it, that's something to keep in mind. Definitely. I mean, even from a tree, like just a tree riding or free riding experience, like you're riding on the trail in December and you look up and you're like, man, that looks like some good tree spacing right up there. Like that would be really cool, but we're, you know, the weeds are poking through. There's lots of sticks still, but like, man, another two or three feet of snow, we should go explore that instead of just riding past it every time. Yeah. Caching those ideas for later so even though yeah early season it is technically winter you're still kind of building that base for when when the snowpack is really stacked up you have you can just go hard data interpretation is something that you know again talking about snow tell sites looking at stuff and seeing where there's what's actually out there you know again not just assuming oh december 1st the trails opened it's we can go ride like I think most people, we're both very similar, where we have a lot of riding zones that are, say, an hour to three hours in most directions. And, you know, going three hours north or three hours south is entirely different weather systems. And north could have no snow and south could be just like full tilt riding already. So just, ha- you know, getting a gauge of where to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's important all year. Um, and again, just more important in the early season because you, you have to find places with base or you're not going to have a very good day of riding. Later in the year, it's more like figuring out where the storm hit the hardest. So it's like 
two inches of fresh versus a foot of fresh or something like that. But again, like it could be a storm where it comes in really warm and one zone got rain and one got snow. So it's so easy just to like save a bunch of weather um, sites and snow tells and just check them right before you go out riding. Yeah, honestly, this is actually part of my, even like right now I'm getting, I wake up and I'm getting ready for work. I'm kind of winding down my work season, but I'm, you know, that's my morning routine. I'm eating my bowl of cereal. I'm cruising snow tell sites, just checking the point forecast of weather for kind of a couple different priority areas. And it's given me that I'm just, I'm starting to collect data. So when it's time to go full tilt ride, I've got a month under my belt. It's not just wake up on one Saturday and say, well, what do I want to do today? There's a huge base of knowledge already built for the year. Mid-season priorities. What would you say is kind of like the most important part of mid-season? You know, again, we we kind of keep bouncing on and off these topics. The, you know, by mid-season, most zones all have a pretty good average, you know, you're at your average snowpack. You're not going to have a bad day necessarily anywhere, but using, you know, again, snow tell weather to, to point you in a direction or maybe ski hill data or you know the avalanche report is like a really steady supply of good unbiased information and the avalanche report's often done uh it's not done right next to a snow tell site so you can combine like figure out where the location of the avalanche pit they dug was and then look at the snow tell and then make a guess at what your zone got totally exactly yeah you're, you're starting to now just piece together you're taking all these unique data points kind of combining them and doing some averaging so you're like Again, you're filling in the gaps. And also, I'd say the biggest thing about AVI reports compared to, say, like a ski hill, like their snow report, the Avalanche guys aren't trying to sell you anything. They're not (laughs) trying to get you to buy a $200 day pass. You know, they're telling you what's there. And I think from both of our experience, safe snow tends to also be very good snow. Like good linear snowpack is also safe. So obviously, you should be looking at the Avalanche report regardless, but it it tells you a lot. Yeah, it it tells you a lot more than just what your risk of getting caught or setting something off is. So something to just really pour over again, come winter when we start getting our daily advisories here, that's kind of read through that while I'm having breakfast. That's just, and I do that every day. So even though I might not be riding for a week or two weeks, cause I have other stuff going on, I'm still keeping tabs on what the weather is doing, what the snow is doing. So when I do jump back into it again, I have a really strong data point. End of season priorities. So we're talking April on. Some guys might ride till April, May, June, July. There's some hardcore guys out there that might go spin some donuts in August. But uh, what what's the priorities for late season? Oh man, it again. Some of this stuff just boils down. You got to have experience and you know what you can do, where you can get. Um, we just keep hammering it. Is that idea of watching? the data, you know, what is, what is a snow tell site? What is, you know, there's highway cameras too, like stuff like that. Like, Hey, is there still snow up on the side of the road there? Can we actually unload? A lot of mountain passes have, um, updated live webcam showing the pass and that can give you a rough idea of what you're riding. Totally that, um, same with then, you know, road use maps, gates. Cause that's, I'd say one of the biggest challenges is just getting to the snow. The snow is always there. It's just, how do you get to it? Yeah. Um, you know, knowing that, oh, hey, 90% of the roads around here, the gates stay locked till, you know, till the snow is really gone. But hey, there's this one road that they open that gate early. And those, the Forest Service has all those maps and it shows the dates the gates are open and closed. So you can start to figure that out. And then you kind of know. I mean, that's why people late season ride Cook City. Yeah. There's no gates. You yep. just, you just chase the snow up. That's why it is such a mecca for late season riding. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like every town has a road or two you can go up. And... Uh-huh. I, I know Sealy has a dead zone in the spring where you can't drive past the parking lot, but it's melted out and it's dirt and the road's not open to drive. So we often travel um, up towards the flathead or down towards the bitter road or something just because there's not really any way around it. <clears throat> but then I forget when it is. It might be like the second week of May or sometime they then let you drive up and then it's kind of game on for the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks of having snowpack. Totally. Yeah. There's, I know, yeah, a number of zones like that where it's like there's, there is a dead zone where the gate, you know, gates lock or accessibility is shut down and there's a mile, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet of dirt or maybe a couple miles depending on the season. But yeah, it's not really practically accessible. That's a little, this is a little off topic, but what do you do? Like how much dirt is too much dirt? How much can you get away with before you start damaging your sled? Oh, Oh man. As I'm looking up at a pair of thrashed skis up there that are literally, I keep as springs, you know, keeping as spring skis. Um, it depends a lot on, you know, is certain zones are actually paved for service roads. Like, so obviously you, you don't want to be riding more than a couple hundred yards of pavement. I mean, that will literally wear through. I've seen guys wear straight through carbides, right through skis. Um, you can get away with quite a bit if, if it's dirt and it's, uh, like wet, like muddy. Cause then you get, I mean, obviously mud is not great for your snowmobile, but it does offer some cooling. Um, there's no, <laughs> <laughs> hearing you say that out loud is, is yeah. pretty funny, but yeah. we, I would say we, we've both been on some pretty ignorant spring adventures and, you know, obviously there is inherent risk of riding, not your snowmobile, not on snow, but you know, risk tolerance, how much, how much are you willing to push for that fun? Um, and it's honestly not as bad on a sled as you think it is. You, you, you damage your track clips. If you go too far without getting the high facts wet, cause the track clips get too hot. You wear out your high facts from heat, you wear out your skis, but as long as you're not overheating and you're keeping your motor cool by stopping enough or getting enough snow on your intercoolers, you're, you're not that being that hard on your sled. No, honestly, that's what I was saying. As silly as it sounded, the mud, like literally like there's, Oh, there's a little you know, snow melt running across the road, like splash through that puddle. It's keeping everything fairly well lubricated. Yeah. After the ride, you may want to like wash your skid out and make sure you freshly grease everything. Cause it's got dirt and gravel in it, but I'm not saying it's good for your sled, but I'm just saying like, it's not like you're ruining your sled. You're not going to total it. Like you, as long as you keep carbides on your skis, honestly, your skis will probably fare just fine. What the worst is when you wear through your carbide and then the skis, wear through within like a couple hundred feet basically yeah definitely no i mean like i said it's not good for it but it i mean i think most people like you you know you drive your sled through a parking lot and loading and unloading like all that stuff like you i mean i ride mine and i loop it out through the field before i load up a lot of times and it's like that's i'm riding a quarter mile of dirt in my field just goofing off before i load up let alone like so doing that out on the mountain is not the end of the world right so uh, a quick story the most dirt I ever rode in one day was 22 miles. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad. I've only probably done maybe two or three in total, but that was a zone where it was like going in and out of the shades so or you're hitting a lot of patches, but then got snow again. Yeah, this this was like completely dry the first like two miles, and then I started getting patches after that. I was on an old edge and pretty desperate to ride in May. And like I was saying, they shut the roads down in Sealy so you can't drive up them. And I was trying not to break any rules. So I parked at the parking lot and did 11 miles of dirt into the zone. Had a phenomenal day. And then coming out in the dark, riding 11 miles of dirt, I was like, this isn't good. This, Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. Oh, I kind of forgot one of the, 
the year I went through three sleds, my third sled. <laughs> I wonder the, why you went through three sleds. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, no, I unloaded it. Literally, you could not see any snow anywhere in the parking lot. Like standing, getting dressed, there was zero visibility of snow. It was luckily only about two and a half miles to here, and it was a lot of mud and stuff. We were able to cool the sleds down. And thankfully it rained on the way out, so it was helping <laughs> help lubricate everything. But yeah, again, we had a lot of fun. It was a really good day of riding, but it, uh, again, that's sort of a tolerance of what you want, how much fun you want to extract out of your snowmobile. You got to look at it this way. If it's a really deep snow day, you're going to go through belts and that's like 200 bucks a piece. If you ride a bunch of dirt, you're going to go through skis and a set of skis is only like 250 or something. Yeah. That it's, bucks. It, uh, yeah, it's, uh. Again, it's not good for him, but it, <laughs> as long as you're not super ignorant about it, it's you can definitely minimize the wear and tear. And I guess before, yeah, before we get too ranty on that and dumb experiences we've all made, uh, the whole idea of like road exposure and meltout, that's a huge player in getting to snow in the spring and how much dirt you're going to have to ride. Yeah, the thing to look for is shaded roads, really. Well, I guess it's more complex than that. What you want is something that's melted out until there's good snowpack off the road. You like, you want a melted road and then you want to like come around a corner where it's shaded and hit good snowpack. So you're not riding those patches from the valley bottom. I think that, I think the key there would actually be, it's not necessarily whether it's good or bad or has snow or doesn't, it's consistent exposure. Like if the road stays constantly South facing, then you know, it's just going to melt off very uniformly top to bottom so you can just drive all the way up or the whole road is fully shaded. The problem is when you get roads that are real windy and tuck in and out, you know, you may hit a drift within a mile, but there's still mile long patches of dirt all the way up to the top. Yeah. That's a really good explanation of it. It's, it's more consistency than snow. Yes. Snow or no snow. It's the ability to use a one vehicle instead of yeah unlo- having to be forced to unload down lower. Or just knowing that, okay, this road has one drift, and if we dig through it or something, then we can drive way up instead of just unloading and saying, good luck, sled, we're taking you. Yeah. Another thing to keep in mind is the snowpack melts so fast in like mid-May because it's, you know, 60, 70, 80 degrees out. And rain. Rain is a huge melting factor. Yeah. So if you go one weekend to the next, you could add miles of dirt to your ride. Or even, I've even gone up to a zone and rode no dirt on the way up. And then it melted so much that on the way back, I was hitting like half mile long melted patches because it'll melt several inches um, just in an afternoon of riding. Oh, especially when you start getting those real warm, sunny days. And yeah, the ground is starting to get close. So it's like the sun is actually able to radiate off the dirt. Like you can, you could burn off snow really quickly. Or if it's like a fluke spring powder day, that's not, that's not really solid snow. It disappears quickly. Yeah. That actually has happened a few times to me too, where it's like two inches of fresh and you're riding on two inches of fresh on top of a dirt road. And you think like, it doesn't bother you because you have two inches. So, you know, everything's staying cool. It's not really hard on the sled. You go miles on a road like that, ride the zone all day. It gets up to temperature and you come back and you realize that two inches is gone. Uh, Yeah, that's definitely happened to me more than once. And I, you know, again, experience tells me I know it's going to happen. But like being prudent about the day then of like not lollygagging and screwing around, like we go up rally and try to get home fairly quickly. So you're not dealing with too much dirt. Yeah. And driving your truck as far as you can. Yeah. Not, not just stopping at the first sight of snow. Like you want to 
I often will go walk the road. So if it, if I hit a big snow patch, I'll just be like, all right, guys, I'm going to just walk up this. I don't want to risk getting my truck stuck, but I will risk it if it's going to save us miles of dirt. So, you know, just take a jog up the road, get around the bend. It's like, oh, it's dirt around the bend. Okay. If you go around the corner and the road is like literally dusty dry. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll go up a little further. <laughs> yeah. It's been dry for a minute up here. Yep. And again, a lot of it's true. Just experience. You'll start to, ex- over time, if you go to a zone a bunch in the spring, you learn what happens. Like, hey, this corner drifts in. Once that drift is melted, this is game on for spring riding. Or, you know, this just don't go here in the spring. This is not, this road melts terribly and is not a good access point. Yeah, so, exactly. No different than early season. We touched on some of these, but let's like really lay out the resources people have to figure out what zones are good. The weather, using the National Weather Service point forecast, not just like your local weather app for the town that's nearby where you're riding, you're actually doing point forecasts for the actual zone, the actual elevation. Um, that's huge. Yeah, if you're using the National Weather Forecasting website, you can go to the map, you can click a location on the map, and it's going to give you a forecast for that location. Or like, It'll be like a square. I don't know how big this is. It's like about is. a square mile, I think. So it's pretty finite. And under once you've clicked on it, and it like reloads the new page. It shows you like the average elevation for that, the little. So again, over time, you you know which little spot to click. So it loads, hey, this average is kind of the mid-mountain elevation. It's not like, oh, I'm checking at the peak or down in the valley. This is this is going to give me an idea of the point. Yep. Yeah, That's I guess that's the big thing. When you do use that point forecast, don't click on the peak. Try not to click at the very bottom of the valley. <laughs> Pick like the valley of the riding area mm-hmm. and make sure that it's telling you the elevation you're looking at a forecast is roughly the elevation you're riding. Totally. Yeah. It's easy. I know I'm super bad about it. Like I know the exact spots to click on the peaks in the mountains that are going to give me the highest snow depth <laughs> numbers, but then all that, all that you're doing there is you're, you're misleading yourself just because you want to like, yeah. And it's one of those tools. The more you play with it, you'll start to learn what it, what the data means. There's a few other resources that we regularly use. Uh, you want to finish us up with talking about those. Yeah. I mean, I know I, I don't use them a ton, but they're um, like just the, the highway cameras. I know in the U.S., most each state maintains a pretty decent network of high- cameras on the highways. Those actually also have little weather points on them, like tell you the road temps and all that stuff. Obviously, for transport, that's a big deal. Um, but yeah, if you're checking a pass that's up near where you're riding, you're going to know what the what the temperatures are, what, what the conditions live look like there, live stream cameras. So um, also ski hills, uh, if you're riding anywhere near a ski hill, Checking their snow report, things like that is incredibly beneficial. Um, that's- Ski hills almost always have um, cameras, webcams at the top of the mountain, which is super helpful. Totally, yeah. You have a ski hill is a plethora of information. They all have, you know, they're in the business of selling, playing on the snow, so they want to inform you as best they can. So that's a huge one. And then, you know, again, we talked about it, avalanche reports. That's going to give you the most comprehensive, unbiased um, view of the snow. What's out there? So, and they give you a lot of data that you can see during like, uh, most of the avalanche forecasting places do videos on the snow pits they dig and you can get a good idea of like how, like if you have, you know, three feet of fresh or a foot of fresh and then, um, super icy snowpack under that, or if it's kind of consistent. Totally. Yeah. I know, um, again, we're both lucky. You have the Missoula avalanche and we have the Gallon national forest avalanche center here, um, yeah, they're putting out uh, midwinter. I mean, they're putting out like one or two videos at least a week of they're in the different zones, whether it be skiing or snow snowmobiling. 
and doing full comprehensive analysis of the snowpack. So it's, I mean, it's like you're out in the field digging yourself. It gives you tons of info. All right, let's get into the nitty gritty of snow tells. There, I think most people know what snow tells are, but I don't know if they know how to utilize them properly. So yeah. we'll uh, go into that right now. You want to explain to us what a snow tell site is? Yeah, so it's uh, just a weather monitoring station that the, I guess the Department of Natural Resources used to monitor they use it to monitor just water content in, you know, major river valleys, basins, all that, just to, you know, when it's like, oh, hey, our snowpack is at X amount of average or all those, those random stats you hear on the news. These are the, these are the stations in real life that give them all those data points for watersheds and things like that. Um, just a, yeah, it's a huge network. I, there's got to be close to a thousand of them across the Western U.S. So. Yeah, there's a lot. They're, they're not very helpful unless you know which ones to look at. But uh, we're about to get into that. So if you Google um, Snowtel sites and then scroll down a little ways, you can pull up um, what's called an interactive map. And that will show you a map. Well, so best to Google whatever state you're in. Um, just Google Snowtels for that state. And then you can pull up a map of the state. And then you can get a really broad view of um, the snowpack averages. And uh, it's going to show you every location with this little round circle um, of every snowtail site. And then the color of the circle tells you where it's at for, um, percentage of the last 40 years. Yeah. It's like right? a 40 year average. So that's a, and it's, it's important to note, I guess, before we get too far into it is yeah, those averages are all snow water equivalent. They're not depth, but when we talk about that, you'll kind of understand that's the, that's the magic anyways. Depth is sort of irrelevant. Yeah. So, um, since we're going through this, I'm just going to zoom in on the snowtail for Sealy since that's kind of the most applicable. So I am on the map right now and I'm going to pull up, um, see like snowtail. It is snowtail 667 and it's telling me we're at 140% of average right now. And I'm going to pull up all the data here. Yeah, and so the, they redid this recently. The interactive map works way better than it used to. And now that like when you click the station, that preview has a really cool graph on it that's going to give you kind of a, again, just a quick snapshot of that station, like where where it's at, you know, tracking relative to average. Because I think it's easy for us to get distracted by something we see in the field is like, oh, this is, it's not like it used to be or whatever. It's like, no, this is just the data. This is X amount of average in a very visual format. All right, so I pulled up um, North Fork, Snowtel, and the data we have here is snow water equivalent, snow depth, um, precipitation accumulation, and then air temperature. Um, do you want to explain to us what snow water equivalent is? Because I think that's the one that's really going to throw people for a loop. Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's the sauce. It's what, like, I think everyone knows what snow water equivalent is. They just don't know the name of it. You know, like when you get... It's, it is the moisture content of snow. Say you took a foot of snow and melted it down, how much actual water would be there? So like you get that thick spring mashed potatoes, that would be like, you know, a, call it a 20, 30% water. You know, a foot of snow would melt down to like two or three inches of water where like cold smoke, you could have a foot of snow that's only a half inch or less of water. It doesn't even, the, the snow water equivalent is what adds up. That's yeah. what gives you your base. Yep, especially early season. And kind of my general rule of thumb is 10 waters of snow water, 10 inches of snow water equivalents, kind of what you need for good off trail riding where you can do hopovers, bow ties, and, and really get around. Um, the depth is less important. So 
if there's 20 inches of depth, but 10 inches of snow water, that's telling me that we have a really thick, good base. There's not a lot of coverage, but because the snow's so thick, we can likely ride that and actually get around. A hundred percent. And on the opposite end, you being from Sealy, you're thinking about shallow, high density, me from Bozeman. I'm, we get a lot drier snowpack here. So, I mean, I've rode four or five feet of early season snow. That's like less than 10 inches of snow water. I mean, it's, you're riding on the ground. Yeah. You're you blowing you're blowing through all of that snowpack because there's no water in it and going right down to the dirt. So it's yeah, exactly the, the snow water equivalent is really, that's going to tell you what's there. Like, and as you said, 20 inches of snow, that's good water content. Like you can have a lot of fun on that. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> lots of depth doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's really scary when you're riding literally on the dirt with four or five feet of snow. Yeah. You can't see anything, especially if the wind's blowing. It smooths it all out. You can't see bumps or it's... Yeah, that's sketchy. That's scary. I've done that a couple of times and I'd, I would just rather stay home, honestly, at that yeah. point. Again, unless you have a very strong basis of scouting and a pretty incredible memory for the area, that's a, that's a recipe for breaking stuff. Air temperature isn't super relevant, but... If it's really cold, you can kind of count on the snow being really dry, and then it, it becomes more relevant um, early season and late season, kind of tracking those freeze and thaw cycles. Yeah, again, mid-season, it's more of just for nerding out to look at. I think, you know, I think we both watch it of like, oh man, it snowed all night and it never got above 10 degrees. Like, that's going to be like total cold smoke because when it snows that cold, that's what it is. That's just what the snow you get is. I use it for... Uh, deciding how i dress for the day too so if i get up you know, normally in the morning i check the weather i see or like you know just look at a thermometer like okay it's let's say i'm riding on a cold weekend it might be negative 10 um at the house and then i look at the snow tell and it's often like 10 above because the mountains stay yeah. a little more consistent in the valleys sometimes get these really cold inversions so yeah temperature inversions is something like you kind of forget that those have those cold clear days that can be I mean, drastic different 10, 15 below in the valley and close to freezing up in the mountains. Right. That might determine whether I go out that day. If it's 15 below in the valley and 15 degrees in the mountains, like, okay, I'm going to have a good day riding. If it's 15 below in the valley and 15 below in the mountains, I might just stay home because I'm pretty picky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's such a good point is like, it, you, you don't know, like just because you got up and you're staring out the window and your thermometer in your yard says it's 10 degrees what the weather is 40, 50, a hundred miles away in, in the mountains is has nothing to do with your house. So something that's a little weird to think about, again, it's more for mid season. This is more just for the fun of the looking at, um, is kind of understanding the different types of snow and like what their actual snow water equivalent is. Um, if you think of say like a, a real cold snow, snow event or like a, um, or really wet. So like cold smoke, we all know is like just that, over the hood blower champagne powder it's really cool to ride in you want a good base underneath it because you're riding directly through it that's like a 10 percent or less water content so say again on on the snow tail station if you saw a foot of water accumulated but less than one inch of snow water accumulated during that window that's going to be some pretty fluffy snow that's going to look really cool chances are it was colder when that happened that snow event happened um the contrary would be say like those spring storms or maybe more coastal where you get say a foot of snow again but now it's like three four five even six inches of snow water like that's going to be heavy i know you, you, we both rode like whistler for example or washington 
I mean, you could get a four or five foot storm and it would be a foot of water. I mean, it is like, it's hard riding. It's really challenging. So again, whether or not that's affecting your decision to go ride, probably not, but it's just makes you more aware. You know what you're getting into. Totally. There's days when you go out and it's just, yeah, amazing, cool blower snow and it's flying over your hood. That's awesome. Or you have that wet stuff. It can be very hard to ride it. Yeah, and it those storms set up a lot faster as well. So your window of good riding is going to be narrower right after the storm. The heavier and wetter it comes in, seems like the faster um, it it just sets up and feels like uh, you like miss the storm. Totally. And I guess maybe the one thing, again, these are things I think we both do subconsciously is, as we have some more experience doing this, is it's affecting kind of how you're planning your day. If it's like, oh man, it snowed a ton of really fluffy snow you're probably not going to plan some big exploring day. Like you're thinking, Oh man, we're going to go drop, try to hit some cliffs. There's a good, you know, some good fluffy snow on top there. We're going to hit some jumps, do things like that. Or it's yeah, it didn't really snow any. Maybe we're going to explore more today. Yep. So it's more of just a, what you're going to do with your day. You're still going to go out, but how you choose to use the day. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So something I want to note is that snowtail sites are pretty spread out and they don't put a snowtail site for us sledders. They're wherever the government decided they wanted them. Um, so we kind of have to translate that snowtail location to our riding zone. And I kind of think that the best way to do that is find a snowtail, obviously, that's as close as possible to the riding zone and then correlate the elevation of the snowtail with the elevation that you're riding. So if you're riding a thousand feet higher than the snowtail, you know, you can guess that it's going to be a little colder. You're going to have a little more snowfall. If you're riding a thousand feet lower, you know, the opposite's going to be true and just be aware of that. And just because there's not a snowtail directly in your zone, doesn't mean it's not useful until you just have to kind of correlate it, look at the snowtail, go ride it, pay attention to what the differences were. Um, and then that's gonna, you know, be another tool in your uh, toolbox. Definitely. That's, I mean, that's a great example of comparing, like we were talking about with even Google Earth. It's like, you have to start to you pay attention to what the computer tells you and what you see in the field and kind of constantly overlay those. And you pretty quickly develop a trend of, okay, this snowtail means this relative to my riding zone or, you know, we're talking about looking at temperatures and stuff. Yeah. If the snowtail is higher than where you're going and it's right on the verge of freezing. Ooh. Yeah. Chances might, are you're going to have a bunch of rain in your zone. Exactly. So they may not tell you exactly what you want, but if you learn to read between the lines a little, they, they do tell you an incredible amount. Yeah, for but sure. You have to apply that to the field. Um, and and Sealy specifically, um, and Snowtail 667, like I was talking about, that one is in um, a closure area, so you can't even ride to it. But it's at the same elevation and a similar basin to the majority of the good riding in Sealy. So it's it's extremely accurate. It's almost always within an inch or two. Yeah, it's probably, of all the Snowtail sites I monitor, like... That one is one of the more consistent with how the riding experience is. I keep talking about the Sealy Snowtail, and that's the one I watch the most because I'm taking clients out into that area and trying to prepare for that. But uh, what can guys do that are coming from the Midwest or planning a trip and like they have a lot of options? They're not locked into just riding Sealy. Uh, what would your suggestion be for gathering intel? Totally. Yeah, no, I, you get guys again from the Midwest where you, I mean, 10 hours takes you a lot of different directions. It's going to give you from say from Colorado, Southern Colorado to Montana could all be within a similar drive time. So, you know, when you first open that snowtail page and you see all the site locations and yeah, you were talking, they have the color coded, um, dots, those dots are going to tell you 
the percent of average of snow water equivalent. So if you look at a region, say, hey, I'm looking at Southern Colorado right now, and every snow tell is in the yellow or red, like that means it's like below 50% of average or below, you know, down to a quarter of a percent. Like, I don't think we should go there. That's going to be just, that's not going to be doing good. Um, where if you look at another area and it's like all the dark blue and you start clicking on sites and seeing that they're all 100, 150, 200% of average, I mean, you're, that's just a, a blanket statement of like, okay, this region has above average snow. So it's going to be, it should be really good. So that just gives you, helps you really hone in on where you want to go. So you're not just, I think that's something guys get really stuck in their head is like, we want to go here because saw an Instagram post and it yeah, looked good. Totally, totally. Yeah. We saw one guy roll there or even from last year. Oh, Hey, we really wanted to travel there. And while the zone may be cool, like, I mean, I've personally never rode McCall. I would like to go. And not just deciding I'm going to go to McCall because I want to really bad. But you, again, you look at the snow tells for the area and they're way below snowpack. Well, that's not worth planning a trip to somewhere that's got a well below average snowpack for the time of year because that's just bad trip planning. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. When you have the option to go where the snow is good, why not? It's yeah. just you're just being lazy if you decide to go somewhere just because you want to go there and never look at a snow tell map. Definitely. I think, I think that would change. I know that I've in many years of talking to guys, you, you get, you hear that as they describe a region, you know, they talk to you about a place they went and rode and it was just, you know, they don't have a lot of good to say about it. And then maybe, you, you know, you, I've personally rode there or something and you're like, I don't know, that sounds a little off. And then you realize, Oh yeah, you hit that on the wrong year at the wrong time. And it was terrible. You know, you yeah. guys that say cook City's always hammered and tracked out and, I, while it definitely can be, I've had some absolutely incredible days there, you know, again, study, studying the map, seeing where the storms go and catching it just right. I mean, we've both rode there in November on absurd snow. Yeah. And you have the power with snow tells to figure out exactly what's going on and you don't have to rely on a side hill video from your favorite athlete in their zone. <laughs> and, oh, that just leads me, you know, as it is early season right now, I mean, I've been, I've snuck out a few times. Just because I posted one video of blasting a powder turn or like doing a wheelie up a hill that I specifically framed that you can't see all the dirt in, <laughs> that doesn't mean the conditions are epic and you should come ride. It just means I found one hill that I knew that the snow was blown incorrectly and maybe position a camera in the right spot so it looks awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> remember, social media is just a very small window into things and user discretion <laughs> yeah absolutely i completely agree um so one thing i guess that's kind of important again more of a mid-season thing is going to be sort of tracking your your general snow growth in a, on a snow tell site or maybe lulls in snow um again when you click on a site it pops up that site's um a little graphical showing the snow water equivalent compared to the averages and the highs and the lows um you're going to see like a nice steady like upward trend is going to mean kind of just consistent snow. Obviously, if you see crazy vertical walls in it, that means you just got an insane dump. And on the contrary, if you see a huge flat spot in that, you know, leading up to the current day, that means it's, you know, hasn't snowed in a week or two. And you can really start to see what the, what the overall snow has been trending. If it's again, if it's been just small gradual growth, a huge spike or a big flat spot, you know, if you're good, what you're up against, if you're going to be in a zone, that's, if you see a big flat spot, that's been a week, even more chances are the zone's pretty hammered. Good chance. Maybe the sun's been baking it. The wind's been hitting it and there's been no reset. 
Um, it's going to, you know, help prevent you from getting bummed out. Or again, obviously the ideal would be big vertical spikes and then a flat. That means like huge storm sun or, you know, yeah. it stops snowing and it's not, you're not storm riding. So yeah. just kind of those, those little graphs will tell you a lot about what the snow has been doing. Um, and if you see one thing, I guess I notice is if you see like big, like stair steps in it over time. If you do get those big lulls between storms, it's very likely that the snow has developed crusts or, you know, weird, maybe less than ideal conditions. So it just, again, it's telling you a lot about what the snowpack, if it's just a very stable uphill trend, you're more likely to have just a good uniform snowpack. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the only caveat to that's in the spring uh, when it kind of stops snowing, Cause at that point you're not really chasing fresh snow. You're actually chasing warm temperatures that really soften that top layer of snow up and turns it into mashed potatoes. Cause that's what makes for good riding in the spring. Yeah. After, I mean, you get storms in the spring, but for the most part, when you see guys riding any time past like mid April, we're chasing the warmest temperatures possible to get the deepest mashed potatoes. So we can have the softest snow for jumps and whips. Yeah. I know we've both definitely been out together before where you go out and the sun never shines and the snow never softens. And it's like scratchers down tree riding. Yeah. That's another time when you want to look at the temperature trends a lot on a snow tell and look at the temperature history. If the forecast for your zone is 60 and sunny, but you look at the snow tell and it's only been getting up to like mid thirties, or even like low 40s, that's not enough temperature to soften it up um, in late spring and it's still going to be icy hard. Or you can, I think the worst thing that could happen is if you do get those big thaw cycles and then like it dives real cold one night, I mean, it turns into a block of ice and it takes a lot to recover from that. It's almost easier for, you know, when it's been hovering right around freezing and you get a warm day, you'll get a pretty nice layer of mashed potatoes again versus a week of 60 and then all of a sudden you drive to 15 degrees and it is rock hard. Like it will not thaw out in a day. Right. Yeah. It takes a, like you said, a long time to recover from that and better just to, when the snow is that hard, it's better to stay home. Like yeah, honestly. No, it's, again, we've both been out when you just get brutal ice, like not, you cannot ship through it. It's, yeah. it's not fun. It's not even fun to explore. I would. It's kind of just dangerous. Yeah. No kidding. You can't stop going downhill. You spin out going uphill. It's just a mess. Basically, what all this comes down to is putting a little bit of effort in will make your weekends a lot better. And we only have so many days and only have you know so much time every season to ride. So making the most of it can go a long way. And um, I'm all in favor of you know spending, having the most fun possible with the gas um, that we burn and the money we spend. Totally. Yeah. We have a huge amount of time. I mean, we all spend a lot of money. If you think of how many hours at work it takes you to pay for this, this sport, you would maybe use it a little more diligently. Um, if, if you can make more informed decisions about where the snow is, where the snow quality is, you're going to just have those better experiences. You could stretch your season out easily a month, I think from most guys averages and just, yeah, you could have a lot more fun with not a ton of work. Yeah. Well, that uh, wraps up the podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, more to come.